Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and that's as close as I can get to a Dracula impression. It's that time of year. It is the Halloween season, not quite Halloween itself, but close enough. It's a spooky episode of the NFL on Fox podcast, and it couldn't be a better week for it. A scary week eight in the NFL. We had heavy favorites getting scared by some underdogs. We had a day of truly terrifying wide receiver performances, had some pretenders costuming around as contenders. We even had a house of horrors that was the Jets-Giants game up at MetLife Stadium. Don't make me talk about it. All that and a whole lot more for this Halloween-themed episode You know the drill. If you listen to the show, we typically call it the Sunday six, the six storylines that you need to know coming out of week eight. This week, we're going to call it the Sunday scaries. Why not just commit to the bit? Enjoy the holiday. There's no better place to start coming out of week eight than the number one item on the agenda, the scariest team in the NFL right now. And that is the Philadelphia Eagles. The top of the show is for the birds. The Philadelphia Eagles down the Washington Commanders on Sunday, 38-31 in a league full of parody. The one-loss team is king. Yes, the Philadelphia Eagles, the only team in the league with just one loss. I'm joined now by the guys at FedEx Field who called this thriller, Mark Schlereth and Chris Myers. Guys, it's been an adventure for the Eagles both times they've played the Commanders this year. They get a win in both of them. I heard y'all talking about this toward the tail end of the game. It's easy to critique the Eagles. Maybe at this point, they're they're supposed to have looked more dominant. But after a certain point, don't you think it starts to become useful experience for this team that they are learning how to fight through adversity like this? The Eagles can beat you in a lot of ways. It's just which way we have to step up this week to win the game. They didn't run the ball necessarily very much, but Hurts had the big four-touchdown game. They can win in so many different ways, and they showed it again. And I don't, I don't think that you know. There's oftentimes you you match up with an opponent, right? And there's some teams that just match up well with you. Their scheme matches up well to your scheme. Their players' strengths match up to your players' weaknesses, and and so this is just one of those games. Even though it looks like Philadelphia should dominate. Washington has played them tough. They have played them close. They're the most, uh, the, the, the best rival, if you will, because of their proximity, as Ron Rivera told us. So it's just one of those great matchups, and they had a, um, a phenomenal game by their young quarterback in Sam Howell. Yep, and then Jalen Hurts answered with a four-touchdown game as well. And the Eagles, you're right, they haven't played their best football yet. They're 7-1, and one, and they get the Cowboys coming up next, Dave. It's going to be phenomenal viewing experience. One last thing before I get y'all out of here. I mean, look, what, I don't know what else you can say about A.J. Brown, but can can you try something for me? Eight catches, 130 <laughs> yards, and two touchdowns. Well, his historic streak of six straight, nobody's ever done it in the history of the game of 125 receiving yards or more. And we saw catches today, Mark, where two guys were on it, where it seemed almost impossible, yet he made the grab. So physical. I, I think I think the one thing from the neck up, the understanding of where the leverage is, how they're trying to cover him. So being able to change your route, being able to change the catch point, all those things, he and his quarterback and Jalen Hurts are so connected. So I think that's a big part of it. And then so physical and just goes 
goes out and snatches the ball out of the air, right, and takes it away from people. Um, he's having a phenomenal season so far, and he is a treat to watch. Yep, and his head coach, Nick Sirianni, says he does a lot without the ball. It's in the details. He gets other people open. Obviously, he makes us the catches uh, when the ball comes his way, Dave. Always very fun when it's Eagles, Kenders. Guys, thanks for the time and safe travels. You got Take it. Care. I personally think about the Eagles like a, a NASCAR driver or a drag racer that just wins race after race without ever having to hit top speed. Like the, the car can do it. They just haven't needed to. That's been the trend all season. They did it again on Sunday. I feel like I'm running out of ways to say this. I have yet to be truly impressed by the Philadelphia Eagles, but as we're going to get to in this episode, they are more consistent and find more ways to win games than literally everybody else in the NFL. Other teams getting upset on a more regular basis. Yes, I'm well aware the Eagles lost the New York Jets. Everybody else has multiple clunkers on their resume, even the very best. Whether you want to talk about the Baltimore Ravens finding ways to lose to teams like Pittsburgh or the 49ers now on a three-game losing streak or the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll get to the Chiefs. Don't worry about it. Eagles, a much more consistent team. And even in games where they start slow or struggle with turnovers or all of the above, they find ways to get the job done. They're behind 14 to three to the commanders before it even feels like this game is underway. They ultimately go up 38 to 24. By the end of this game, the Eagles were in much more control of things than the final score indicates. Sam Howell drives Washington down to what I'll call a garbage time touchdown to cut it to a one score lead. But really all doubt that the Eagles were going to win went out the window with four or five minutes to play in the game. Eagles put up 374 yards of offense. They score five touchdowns. And that is with two red zone turnovers. Kenny Gainwell and Jalen Hurts both turn the ball over inside the five yard line. Or this might have been an even bigger laugher than what we already saw. Of course, you can find criticisms with this team. The fumbles, chief among them, Jalen Hurts, I think you can officially say he's struggling with turnovers. He's turned the ball over 11 times on the season. I think Eagles fans got a little angry with me on Sunday when I pointed that out on social media. The Eagles can be 7-1 and one and be a good team, and Jalen Hurts can play really well. He did throw four touchdowns, no interceptions in this game still. 11 times on the season at the halfway mark, which is far more than he had in the entire run of the Super Bowl last year. It is worth criticizing, but it is still impressive that the Eagles are able to overcome it and win games a lot of times convincingly despite those struggles. Chalk it up to the NFL, the Eagles secondary, even with Kevin Byard now in the lineup, another leaky day. It's amazing. Same team that completely shut down Miami a week ago, gives up 397 yards to Howell as well as four touchdowns. Again, they, they give up 10 points to Miami, the most high-flying offense in the league, and Washington manages to slice them and dice them. Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin both scoring. But I still feel like we're... We're, we're nitpicking here. Hertz goes 29 of 38. A.J. Brown, we'll talk more about him later. We talked about him a minute ago. NFL record, six games with 125-plus yards. They arguably have the best receiver doing it in the NFL. And in the second half of this thing, when the outcome is still in doubt, when the score is close or the score is tied, the Eagles defense did buckle down enough to force two turnover on downs as well as picking Howell off to give the offense time to put this game away. It has yet to look as pretty as I think it could. Similar mistakes cost them against the Jets. I'll say it one more time. If you're shrugging off the turnover issues, I promise you the Eagles aren't. You're eventually going to get bit playing that way. It has happened to them in the past. It happened to them last year against Washington. But just one loss on the year while everybody else has two. They are the most consistent thing going officially. That's not a matter of opinion. You can see it in the standings. And man, what perfect timing. Because the schedule is about to pick up in a big, big way. I know the Eagles just beat Miami. I'm not trying to take credit away from, from them for that. But it's going to be very, very hard here over the next six weeks. The next six opponents, all of them would be in the playoffs if the season ended today. They have a combined record of 34 and 14. And you know where this is going. The next one, 
maybe the the one that they would want to win most of all, certainly the game that I'm looking forward to winning most of all, starts next Sunday on Fox against the Dallas Cowboys. We couldn't set this up any better if we wanted to because item number two on our list of Sunday scaries, a scary-looking Dallas Cowboys team back to their old ways, thrashing the LA Rams 43 to 20, one of the most lopsided results of the weekend. 49er game feels like a distant memory. They're cruising. Kevin Burkhardt and Greg Olson on the call at AT&T Stadium. Guys, so much of the talk about this Dallas team was about the offense coming out of the bye week, getting the passing game going. Is it as simple as saying maybe just look for the guy wearing number 88? I think going to 88 kind of works. It was a career best game for him today. Yeah, I mean, obviously that was the clear. I think Brandon Cook's continuing to find explosive plays, impact plays, maybe Mm -hmm. not a million catches, but the limited catches he does have are impact. Fourth down conversion, the long touchdown there at the end. I think this is what we need to see out of this Dallas offense moving forward, the explosive plays, attacking downfield. We know Dak Prescott can operate and be efficient in the short yardage, in the short yardage passing game. Today, it was the downfield passing game that really opened things up. And when they play at this level, with that defense and these special teams, it's about as good as a product as you're going to see. In this yeah, level. the explosive. They were having trouble. They're only 22nd in the league this year in that category. Today, made up for it. One sequence I want to touch on real quick, and it was, you know, the Rams get touchdowns, up back-to-back possessions coming out of halftime. It's looking like this could get interesting. And, and Dallas just kind of put their foot down on the pedal, knowing that they're going into a big game against Philly. How impressive was that to see them kind of, you know, take control of the game again after that Rams rally? You know, Dave, I, I, I agree. You can answer for you, but I, I think that's what Mike McCarthy wants this to look like, right? He, Everyone thinks he wants to be this conservative coach. I don't think that's the case. I think he wants to get the big lead with the explosives and then run it down your throat late. That's kind of what they did. Yeah, and that's the formula in the NFL, if you can do it. And very right. few teams have the people and the, the personnel to pull it off. I think Dallas is one of those groups that can operate in that, at the, in that kind of regard. But that drive you mentioned, they just got the two-point conversion on the little trick play to Stafford, kind of where he re-jammed that finger back up. But then it went on. It felt like the entire third quarter, Dallas had the ball. It was just third down conversion after third down conversion. It did. It was nine minutes, by the way. Nine minutes. I mean, it was <laughs> it was remarkable. Um, yeah, that, that was the difference in the game. They took it from 16, kicked a field goal, made it 19, and it was over from there. Sets the stage for a huge one next week. I know you all will enjoy it. Cowboys, Eagles, appreciate the time, guys. There might not be a scarier place in the NFL than AT&T Stadium over the last season or so. I was shocked to hear this. The win against the Rams was the Cowboys' 11th straight at home. And it's not just that they win at AT&T Stadium. They win by an average of 17 points. You go into Arlington, Texas, you often wind up getting beat down by this Cowboys team. It befell the Rams on Sunday. And with all due respect to the Dallas defense, We've seen them do this song and dance before. They're very, very good, and they did it again. Cowboys got off, got after Matthew Stafford. They sacked him. They hit him five times. As you would expect, Micah Parsons was a big, big part of that. Got a sack, got three quarterbacks, quarterback hits. He had a pass breakup. He almost had a forced fumble. It was called back. Deron Bland has now three pick sixes. Heading into the second quarter of this game, he had the most touchdowns of anybody on the Cowboys roster. Completely insane. Special teams even got in on the act. They blocked a pump for a safety. Kevontae Turpin had some big moments in the return game. But like I said, that that's not the story here because this formula has served them time and time again, particularly at home where they have been so dominant over the last year or two. The new wrinkle here is the Dallas offense finally living up to its potential. Dak Prescott puts up his first 300-yard game of the season. Cowboys unlock their downfield passing attack on a consistent basis for the first time all year. Prescott's 9.8 yards per attempt was the highest of his season by a full yard. Whatever CD said around the facility clearly worked. He went into the weekend saying, get me the ball. 12 catches for 158 yards later. Two touchdowns, all of those career bests. Check this out. Shout out to my stats guy, Vic, for this. C.D. Lamb on a team that has employed Drew Pearson, Michael Irvin, Des Bryant, and a hell of a lot of other really good receivers. C.D. Lamb is the only Cowboys player in team history with multiple games 
of 10 plus catches, 150 plus yards and two touchdowns. It's a little bit of a mouthful of a stat, but when you think of the guys that have played receiver for the Cowboys, CD lamb truly in company on his own. It wasn't just lamb though. Prescott and Mike McCarthy finally unlocked Brandon Cook's downfield ability. That's That's been his reputation for almost a decade in the NFL is downfield speed. Cooks finishes with three catches for 49 yards, has a 25-yard touchdown. It's the type of thing that can open up defenses is the ability to hit plays downfield. Prescott finally getting on the same page as his tight ends down the field, finds Jake Ferguson on a beautiful seam ball for an 18-yard touchdown to open this thing up. All things considered, most complete game of the Cowboys season. All three elements were humming in a way that we just haven't seen. Usually it's been one or the other or a truly glaring weak point, but even special teams got in on this and it's just in time. I can hear you rolling your eyes. Yes, the 42 to 10 loss to San Francisco still counts. I feel like Cowboys fans need to be reminded of that. The Niners losing three games in a row doesn't diminish what they did to you just three weeks ago. Still counts in the standing, still something we all watched happen. But with each new week comes a new opportunity to prove yourselves and what an opportunity this is. Cowboys going on the road up to Philadelphia right here on Fox. Eagles, Cowboys, 7-1 and one versus 6-2. Two. two of the best handful of teams in the NFL throughout the season, and we get to see Dak we get to see the Cowboys in another measuring stick opportunity. They fell short last time, but there is no time like the present. Nobody has bigger Sunday scaries coming out of week eight than the Kansas City Chiefs. That is where we are going in this week's edition of the Coaching Spotlight. Today's Coaching Spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. It's the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach-to-coach communications. Kansas City Chiefs go out to Denver and they fall 24 to 9. That is why we are talking about the Broncos coaching performance. Sean Payton for sure. More specifically, Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos. They've been through hell and back. A lot of it justified, but when we're this hard on the Broncos, we're for sure going to give them their moment in the sun. For as horrible as a season as it's been for them, they are riding a win streak. It started with Green Bay last week, but this is this is the centerpiece, a 24-9 win against Kansas City that we will remember throughout the season. By beating the Chiefs, Sean Payton has snapped every awful kind of streak you can imagine. Where should we start? Should it be the Chiefs' 16 straight wins against Denver? Should it be their 13 straight wins against the AFC, S, AFC West? Patrick Mahomes' 12-0 record against the Broncos? His 16-0 road winning streak against the division? How about 29 straight games with a passing touchdown? They're all done. They are all over a truly, I'll say, embarrassing performance for the Kansas City Chiefs. Even if you're going to lose, you can lose with a bit more dignity than what they mustered against the Denver team that they handled easily just two weeks ago. Peyton's going to get the credit for overseeing it. He is the known name. He is the Super Bowl winning head coach that was brought in to fix the issues in Denver. But I want to focus on Vance Joseph. The Broncos defensive coordinator was already in a really strange position brought in to coach the defense of the team that fired him as its head coach five years ago. I feel like we haven't talked a whole lot about that, but that's a weird spot for your DC to be in, accepting a job under Sean Payton to coach the team that he used to coach. If that wasn't bad enough, Joseph and the Broncos defense has been under some very, very deserved scrutiny. This is the team that allowed 70 points to the Dolphins back in week three. Wouldn't know it. From the last three weeks, they've held their last three opponents to 19 points or less, including two games against the Kansas City Chiefs, this being their most impressive of all. They frustrated the Chiefs into five turnovers on the day, nine points, three field goals. It's the first time the Chiefs have failed to score a touchdown since week seven of 2021 against the Tennessee Titans. So just over two calendar years since the Chiefs were held out of the end zone. 
And like I said, this comes just two weeks after the Broncos went to Kansas City and held the Chiefs to 19 points. They frustrated them that night on Thursday night football. Forced four field goals, only allowed one touchdown. Chiefs win with just 19 points, which typically you hold your opponent below 20. You feel good about your chances to win. Don't do it then. Don't get the win. So what advanced Joseph and the Broncos say? Okay, we'll cut it in half. We'll cut the Chiefs' production by 50%. Nine points against Patrick Mahomes, against the Kansas City Chiefs. Not the end of the world for the Chiefs. You're going to lose games, but the type of performance that prompts some soul-searching just can't get anything going, and they get flat-out dominated. We were joking in the studio. As long as you have Patrick Mahomes, you have a chance to come back, and throughout that second half, you were waiting for the rally. You were waiting for the Mahomes magic. Certainly made a handful of Patrick Mahomesy type of plays, but just couldn't string anything together on a regular basis. And now the Broncos, led by their defense over these last three weeks, it's, it's again, they scored 24 points. It's not like the offense was lighting the world on fire in this game. But with the defense rebounding under Vance Joseph the way it has, it's got you feeling much like the Jets earlier in the season and continuing. We'll get to that in a minute. When the defense is playing like this, it's going to keep you in a lot of games. I don't know how much it changes their projection for the season. Chiefs still seem like they're in control of the AFC West until further notice. It'll be curious to see how it affects the trade deadline. We spent so much time talking about all these guys the Broncos are going to ship off. But if they're playing this well, and Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, to their credit, were a big, big part of the offense's success in this game, it makes you wonder if they're going to be as willing to sell everybody off or if they try to rally and 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 put a run together. I think maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but an incredibly impressive day from Sean Payton. And like I said, more specifically, Vance Joseph. Broncos got their biggest bully off their back, and it is worth giving them some recognition. Continuing the Sunday scaries, what could be scarier then somebody rising from the dead, and that certainly seems to be what the Cincinnati Bengals are doing. They even did the thriller dance in the end zone, like the zombies in the music video. It was only a few weeks ago the Bengals had just gotten housed by the Tennessee Titans. They were one and three. They were downtrodden. They were hopeless. The offense looked broken, and now they officially sit above 500 with a marquee win, really two marquee wins. The Bengals beat the 49ers. 31 to 17 on Sunday. They beat the Seahawks before their bye week. Their last two wins have come against opponents with a combined 10 and 5 record. Bengals beat the Niners, a game that they controlled most of the way through. And what did we say heading into the weekend? It's one thing to hold off the Seahawks with a defensive performance, but we needed to see Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati offense come to life. And boy, did they ever. They were vintage. Joe Burrow only threw four incompletions in this game. They put up 400 yards. They had the lead in this game from beginning to end. Yes, Brock Purdy and the Niners made it interesting at various times throughout, but the Bengals had control of this game from the very jump when they went downfield at the beginning of the game, touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd, and were off. I know the 49ers defense has struggled in recent weeks, but this is still a different beast than putting up big yardage on the Arizona Cardinals a few weeks ago. This is a living, breathing, playoff-caliber opponent, and the Bengals looked like the team that we've gotten used to making runs in the last couple years. Burrow to Jamar Chase, 10 receptions for Chase for 100 yards. Again, got Tyler Boyd involved. T. Higgins was there. Even Joe Mixon turned back the clock a few years, playing, I thought, what was his best game of the entire year. 110 all-purpose yards on the day, 87 of them on the ground, along with a touchdown, looking like a younger, more dynamic player. Joe Burrow looks like the week off did him some good, 43 rushing yards. He's moving in the pocket. He's scrambling. He's signaling for first downs when he picks them up, looking like the swaggy, confident team we've gotten so used to seeing. It's nice to see them at their peak once again because like we've said, even, even the wins that they picked up prior to this point have looked flawed, have looked not quite full force. This was the Bengals at their best. And yes, I'm well aware it's three straight losses for the Niners. 
If you want to panic, you can. I'm not going to overreact too much. Surprisingly, I think the Niners have dealt with hardship more than we give them credit for. It was only two seasons ago they lost four straight games before rallying to be a wild card team. But the Bengals made them look flawed, whatever you want to call it. Brock Purdy with three turnovers in this game. They got after him all day. Two big interceptions. Bengals pulled away down the stretch. We'll get to the Niners in more detail. I do think that is worth revisiting. Again, go from 5-0, and hottest team in the league, having just beaten down the Cowboys to three straight losses. It's worth investigating. We will get into that in Tuesday's show. But right now, the immediate take from Sunday is that the Bengals, once again, looking like an AFC contender, just in time to run through a rough patch in their schedule. Good to have you back. They are not alone. Although, the other team that I would say is back to life coming out of week eight, the Minnesota Vikings resurrection seems like it comes at a cost. I had the storyline all drawn up early on Sunday afternoon. Minnesota looked like one of the hottest teams in the NFL with 10 minutes to go against Green Bay. They were up 24-10 at Lambeau Field. Jordan Addison had another big performance in his breakout rookie season. Kirk Cousins continuing to play maybe the best ball of his career. Vikings about to improve from 0-3 to 4-4. What a story. The NFC North is wide open. And then, as I'm sure you've heard, Kirk Cousins, midway through the fourth quarter, injures his Achilles. He's carted to the locker room. He's undergoing further testing, but even Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell speculating that his season is probably done with an Achilles injury. Amazing how quickly you go from daydreaming about a resurgence to a nightmare scenario where now you are without your starting quarterback. It's a, it's not even bittersweet. It's just a moment for the Minnesota Vikings. We saw this team win close game after close game, improbably running to 13 wins last year in a weekend division in a wide open NFC with Kirk cousins playing the way that he was. It's not hard to imagine the Vikings being a major part of the NFC playoff race. It's a lot harder to imagine right now. It's a tough spot for them. Their true backup, Nick Mullins, was already on injured reserve for this game. That's how rookie Jaron Hall wound up finishing it. It's just kind of a somber moment. We'll we'll see what they do. Because I I would be surprised if they didn't try to do something. I'm not talking about swinging some sort of blockbuster trade. I don't know how realistic that is for a Vikings team that's already eyeing the future without Kirk Cousins since he is in the last year of his deal. But if there's a veteran out there somewhere or maybe a backup out there somewhere that you could do a minor trade for, I don't know. I would be surprised if the Vikings don't do something to try to harness the the vibes around this team. Justin Jefferson will be back at some point. Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, both having phenomenal games. The NFC North seems winnable. It's it's much harder to say that now in the wake of Kirk Cousins' injury, and, and that is the real bummer. I was very, very excited to see where this could go. Wishing the best for Kirk. We'll see where the future takes him. He'll now likely be dealing with an extensive rehab process in addition to his looming free agency. That'll be a storyline to watch for 2024. But if the Vikings' worst fears are confirmed, which it seems right now like they are, it's a gut punch for the Vikings who who truly seemed like they were rising from the dead. Now we'll have to put a pin in that until we see uh, the the full fallout of the quarterback situation. But just a, a tough pill for the Vikings on a day where they got a big win at a rival's place. The scariest substitution you can make in football, and it wasn't just the Vikings. Officially, seven backup quarterbacks played significant snaps during Sunday's action. We can get to the other six in a minute, but we are starting this segment off. How do you start with anybody other than Will Levis? Nothing scary about it, really, other than why the hell didn't the Titans try this earlier in the season? You know the story of Will Levis coming out of Kentucky. Falls to the second round of the draft. He misses most of the preseason with an injury. He's a healthy scratch for the first six weeks of the season. Sounded scary. Tennessee playing a rookie with basically no experience against an Atlanta team that was on top of the division. 
He gets the shot to start because Ryan Tannehill's out with an ankle injury. And sure, how do you respond other than 19 of 29 for 238, four touchdowns, a quarterback rating of 130. And yes, it is absolutely as insane as it sounds. Will Levis is just the third quarterback in the history of the NFL to throw four touchdowns in his first career game. The other two, Fran Tarkenton, all the way back in 1961, and weirdly enough, eerily enough, fitting for a Halloween, Marcus Mariota, also for the Tennessee Titans. Go figure. Two of the three are for Tennessee. Odd stat. Will Levis, flamethrower, does not do it justice, to be honest. My God. I wonder, I come out of this game wondering if the Falcons even realized how strong Will Levis's arm was. They looked completely unprepared for how easily this guy can flick the ball 60 yards downfield. Or if they weren't, if they, if they knew, they weren't ready for him to have the guts to try it. Feels like that had something to do with how Will Levis managed three touchdown passes of 30-plus yards in this game. Found six different receivers. He threw more touchdowns in his rookie debut than Ryan Tannehill had managed in the Titans' other six games combined. Titans offense looking like a completely different attack in this game. Opened up the run game for Derrick Henry. He has a nice 100-yard day. We know how much the Titans like to lean on the run game. And when they weren't doing that, yeah, having this guy with a rifle for an arm, just firing it 30, 41, 60 yards downfield. DeAndre Hopkins, we'll get to him in a minute. Just an incredibly impressive day. It's just a testament to the excitement that a bump at the quarterback position can bring you. I'm sorry to Ryan Tannehill. And I know it's not always going to look that great for Will Levis, but knowing that you just drafted this guy and knowing that Tannehill's nearing the end of his contract, this feels like a changing of the guard. If it's not, it damn well should be. I don't know who the Titans are trying to kid going back to what they looked like the previous six weeks when this is sitting there waiting for them. It won't always be this beautiful, but it's a hell of a lot more entertaining than what we've seen from the Titans Anytime in recent memory, Will Levis, welcome to the NFL with gusto, my dude. Elsewhere, plenty of other teams turning to backup quarterbacks. Actually, in the same game, Atlanta turned to their veteran backup, Taylor Heineke. Remember, they signed him out of Washington. People calling for him to start over Desmond Ritter. He gets the shot in the second half. Desmond Ritter, they, they, it was, he was evaluated for a concussion. Falcons making sure we all know that that this was injury-related, not performance-related, but hard not to notice that Heineke led the Falcons to 250 second-half yards and 20 points when they had 89 yards and three points at halftime. I'm not trying to take anybody's starting job. Well, I guess I am because I just advocated for Will Levis over Ryan Tannehill. I'm not necessarily trying to take Desmond Ritter's starting job, at least not right now, but you you have to be watching it. The Falcons fall to four and four NFC South. So wide open with the exception of the last place Panthers. The other three teams in that division are either tied or within a game of each other. It's going to be a mud fight. If I had to guess just a, a real gross slog to eight or nine wins. But if Taylor Heineke can give you a spark like that, it's something worth thinking about based on what we've seen from Arthur Smith this season and his fierce defense of Ritter. I think more is going to have to happen before he makes that change, but there's still a lot of season left. Elsewhere, New York Giants were already turning to their, their backup to Rod Taylor. Of course, Taylor goes out with a rib injury in the second quarter of maybe the ugliest game that we'll see this season, maybe the ugliest game that we've seen in five seasons. The Giants call on practice, practice squad quarterback Tommy DeVito after Taylor leaves. He goes to a local hospital to be evaluated. Best wishes to Terod Taylor. Tommy DeVito, two of seven for negative one yards as a passer. That's not a typo. He rushes for a third quarter touchdown that puts the Giants ahead. Giants somehow managed to squander this game despite having a three-point lead in the dying seconds. They miss a field goal that would have all but iced it. I'll be very honest with you. 
I really only played close attention to overtime of this game, and I'm so okay with that. If you want a more detailed analysis of a 13 to 10 rock fight, I'm not going to have my feelings hurt if you go find it somewhere else. The Jets and Giants were 4 of 34 on third down in this game. 24 combined punts. Kudos to the Jets. Best wishes to Terod Taylor. That's about all the energy I've got for that. Backup QB dominated the nightcap as well. Tyson Bajan looked like the storybook was going to continue, y'all. The first throw of the night for the rookie, Shepard University. The, the underdog story, the Cinderella story, his first throw against the Chargers on Sunday night goes for 41 yards to Darnell Mooney. Felt like it was the next chapter in the fairy tale. That's about the only thing that went according to script for Bajan or for the Bears. He did rush for a touchdown, also picked off twice by the Chargers. A very un-Chargers performance in the sense that it, it went according to their plan. The Chargers run the Bears out of the building. Easy win at SoFi Stadium. We'll see how much longer Bajan starts in place of Justin Fields. Remember, Fields dealing with the hand injury. Uh, a spooky kind of day for most of the backup quarterbacks. Not you, though, Will Levis. Hell of a debut. Let's wrap up these Sunday scaries with the most terrifying thing that came out of Week 8, in my opinion, and that is these scary good receiver performances, even in a league with this much passing production, with this many Pro Bowl, All-Pro caliber receivers. Sunday was ridiculous for the amount of eye-popping receiver stats, eye-popping catches that came out of it. Let's start it off. A guy we've already talked about. He deserves the, the, the top billing for now. A.J. Brown, eight catches for 130 yards and two touchdowns. If you haven't seen him, go watch him. Disgusting, dominant circus catch touchdowns. He sets the NFL record for consecutive games with 125 yards or more. Six straight of them. By the way, that doesn't include the 31-yard defensive pass interference flag that he drew that got the Eagles down to the goal line. You're just not supposed to be able to bully people at the catch point like A.J. Brown does. And all season long, it seems like when they get in trouble, which they have, they say, screw it, throw it up to A.J. And wouldn't you know that it always works? Talked about it with Peter Schrager last week. I don't know that you can definitively say he's the best receiver in the NFL right now. There's a few guys that we're going to get to right now. But in terms of physical dominance, I don't know that there's anybody coming close to A.J. Brown. We lumped the Eagles and Cowboys together at the top of the show. Why not do it right now? C.D. Lamb coming in next, putting in his best performance as a pro, which is saying something. Lamb asked for the ball Thursday of this week, heading into the weekend, and I think I understand why. Six of Lamb's 12 catches picked up a first down on Sunday against the Rams. Remember, that's a week after all seven of his catches against the Chargers picked up a first down. Two of his other two of his twelve catches got touchdowns. So, in addition to the big playability that helped him finish with 158 yards, he just has a penchant for keeping the chains moving, for picking up the big play when he needs to. No better embodiment of that than a key second and 17 early in the Rams game. He catches it over the middle. He bobs and weaves through about three tacklers. He gets to the chains. That is the type of ability that he has. That is why he can call for the ball. And when he gets it, he does stuff like this. 27 catches in the first five weeks of the season, which isn't bad, but probably not good enough for a player of his caliber. 19 catches in the last two. It's a trend the Cowboys need to continue. I mentioned this guy earlier in the show. Let's give him his full flowers now. DeAndre Hopkins. Yes, Will Levis was the one throwing the ball. DeAndre Hopkins was easily the biggest beneficiary. His first big performance, really big performance since joining the Tennessee Titans. I think a lot of people kind of rolled their eyes at that addition. People thought Hopkins might want to go to more of a contender. Maybe he followed the money. Well, that might be true. But if he's playing with Will Levis, he's got a hell of a lot more opportunity to make an impact in the passing game. Four catches, 128 yards, three touchdowns. It's his first game with multiple touchdowns in two years. It's his first game with three touchdowns in six. Seems like he's still got some gas in the tank. Maybe he just needs somebody that can get him the ball on a more consistent basis. Big, big day. Next name, no surprise whatsoever. What else can we say about Tyreek Hill? Ho-hum, 
eight catches for 112 yards and a touchdown against the Patriots. Not a particularly terrifying stat line for him anyway. The most consistent deep threat in football until you take a closer look and realize Tyreek Hill is the first player in NFL history to put up 1,000 yards in his first eight games. He already has 1,000 yards. That used to be the benchmark for a successful season. Now it's the appetizer. I think he's not getting as much MVP consideration as he did last year, but in terms of what he does for an offense, it's it's hard not to say he has the biggest impact just in terms of the attention that has to be paid to him. The guy is on pace for 2,100 yards and 17 touchdowns. It's absurd. He's good enough that his performance getting to 1,000 yards completely overshadows the fact that he didn't even lead his team in receiving yards. Shout out Jalen Waddell, least worth a mention. Seven for 121 and a touchdown of his own against the Pats. These two guys are ridiculous. Tyreek Hill gets the top billing. 1,000 yards in his first eight games, even in the modern NFL. Just how? Another guy that we touched on, Jamar Chase, officially back to his old ways. 10 catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. Over the last three weeks, he's averaging 10 catches per game. Yeah, when I talk about getting C.D. Lamb the ball more, this is what I'm talking about. Averaging 10 catches per game. It's funny to remember the season started off with Jamar Chase saying, I'm always effing open because he was that frustrated about how he was getting forgotten in the game plan. He had 70 yards after the first two weeks of the season. It's staggering to remember how far the Bengals have come since then in the last five weeks, averaging almost 120 yards per game. Turns out he was right. He's always effing open. Going to wrap this up. These, You know these guys. They star on your fantasy team. They're all pro bowlers. We are going to wrap up these this scary, scary Sunday for receivers. Give an unheralded guy some shine. How about Rashid Shahid from the New Orleans Saints, the speedster? Not going to put him in the same sentence as a Tyree kill quite yet, but the same type of downfield, impressive, terrifying speed. He only has 23 catches this season. Not a volume guy at all. Averaging 21 yards per catch. So when Derek Carr puts the ball up for him, it's usually going for a big game. That was definitely the case in the Saints win against Indianapolis. Final stat line, three catches, 153 yards and a touchdown, literally averaging 50 yards per catch. It's about as efficiently as you can torch a defense. Rashid Shahid. If you don't know him, you should know him. I don't know if he's going to do that every week, but he has the ability to put those plays up on a regular basis. He's done it in most of the Saints games this season. If Derek Carr was smart, I would keep doing it. All right. That just about wraps it up for a spooky Sunday wrap-up for week eight. Make sure you stay here. We've got another episode of Ask Glazer coming up after this. We'll also be back Tuesday. We've got the news from around the league. We got Monday Night Football, Raiders traveling to play the Lions, see what happens there. We're gonna dive into the 49ers, like I mentioned, from five and zero to five and three. We'll see what ails them, see if we can get to the bottom of it. Gonna be a jam-packed show. We appreciate it so much. As always, please go find us on Spotify. Go check us out on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. However you digest your NFL content, however you find your podcasts, we will be there for you. I will see you all next time. I appreciate it. Welcome in. It's time for another edition of Ask Glazer with our NFL insider. Jake I like Glazer. the costume, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's spooky. You should have seen it. I, I did it big for... Saturday. I should be like this. When I first looked at you, I should be like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, yeah. I, I'm dressed as a I'm dressed as an LA hipster today. Jay, it's the last episode we do before the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. So, can you guess what I will be asking you about today? Free agency. <laughs> I mean, it's like the free the agency. It's like the free agency of the fall, right? Yeah, I mean, right. it's you know the trade deadline taking on bigger and bigger the significance. Final episode of Ted Lasso made me cry. Yeah. It, was, it was a good one. All right, let, I mean, let's get into it. We won't have to do this next week, so let's do it big with some trade requests. Starting off with Carly, you talked about this this on Sunday morning, the Washington Commanders. You said one of those defensive linemen is going to get yeah. moved this week. And I'm curious, does it come down to price? Does it come down to 
winning and losing? Like, what what do you think is the is the determining factor when you're trying to figure out who gets dealt out of there? Well, first of all, this is the, like this week is the line and demarcation. So after the Sunday games and Monday games are over, teams really look at it and go, okay, uh, you know what? We don't really have a playoffs caliber team. Or they say, hey, we actually think we have something here, so let's not just give things away. But there are teams that will say, hey, we're coming out of this. We really see the character of this team, we're, with this, you know, the, the personality of this team, so let's be sellers. It really is. It comes down to this week. After this week's games, they kind of make this decision. A lot of these teams do. So as far as Washington's concerned, first of all, when uh, Jonathan Allen last week came out and just you know, said how much he hates. Very unhappy. Right, very, very unhappy. unhappy, man. Usually my kind of language. Uh, I mean, at least half the team, if not everybody, called and said, oh, is he, can we trade for him? And they're told, absolutely not. He's a special player. He's very so then good. you have the two defensive ends, right? Because their contracts are up. And, you know, they're going back and forth on that. Um, you know, when you look at, you know, I think Chase Young, he's the splashier player. Montez Sweat, you always know what you're getting. You always know what you're getting, which I happen to love. And then it comes down to what can you get for them? There are reports there and rumors going around the league that a deal is going to get done for the Bears. That's not going to be the case for um, um, Chase, Chase Young. Young. It's not going to be the case unless something dramatic changes here. Um, but they have, they're, they're going to end up having enough offers where they could play the offers off each other and get something good uh, for one of those guys. But the other thing, too, is when you bring a guy like that in, you don't want to really just rent a guy for a year. You want to get him done to a long-term extension. So I do see something happening. But the other interesting part is, is in Washington, you have a new owner, mm -hmm. right? And if the new owner doesn't think, you know, Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew are their guys, then Martin Mayhew and Ron Rivera are going to want to hold on to everybody as much as they can because they don't want to ship people out where they're going to lose and get draft picks for the next guy. They want to win. So they kind of get caught in an interesting position. The politics of all of that are mm -hmm. fascinating. And I love, I wonder, do you, this isn't her question, but like, is there a team with an offer out there you think, like, maybe the, the result doesn't go their way and they up it? You know what I mean? Like, all right, screw it. That'll if happen. Well, not only that, there are, like, look, the, the Raiders told people, we're not trading Devontae Adams, right? They told people last week. I still have teams who are telling me, despite what they say, we're going to call them again next week. <laughs> we're just going to call. That's, I mean, that's due diligence right there. All right. Question from JW. Another guy you mentioned on, on Sunday morning, Derrick Henry. The report comes that, that the Titans tell him that they're not going to trade him, but as you very astutely pointed out, that's kind of all politicking. Like, where, do, where does that stand? Yeah, it's almost Derrick like Henry? we didn't get the deal we want, so now we're going to go and tell you, no, we love you, we're not trading you. But I don't. it's not particularly over because, like, as one team told me, we, we still think we're in talks with them, right? And there are other teams who are going to call. We were on the phone with them two right. days ago. So... You know, it might be just a, a, a great, you know, ploy by Rand Carthen, their GM, to say, no, nope, it's off the table, so you really come and bowl them over with a better offer. There's a lot of these little things that happen. There are, there are things that happened the pre previous week where some GMs will try to plant stuff in another GM's head. Sure. Like, hey, man, if you guys lose next week, this, this guy, man, we could, you know, I think we'd be interested in him. If you lose, and just kind of just put it in their head about um, how – they would benefit by this team, you know, giving them draft picks for that player where that team may not even thought about trading that player. They don't know that we know yeah, that they know, know that whole routine. I know that you know that I don't know that you don't know that I know. I love this. You know what I mean, I, I, mean, I, I no. think I followed that. Yeah. I think I followed that. Uh, I love this question from Shedrick. He wants to know about Atlanta. It's a very interesting position for them. They're on top of the division. Certainly seems like a team that, that could be buyers, but yeah. I don't think people view them in that contender lens just yet? Have you heard anything about them? Yeah, well, they were, they were linked to Ryan Tannehill. That's not going to happen. Right. Um, and, and Arthur Smith loves Ryan Tannehill. That's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, could they, I don't see them. I, I, I know they're going to talk to for people about pass rushers, um, like we're talking about here. So yeah, they could be in it for a pass rusher. They're, but there's not like these splashy names that they're going to, they're not going after a splashy name. Got you. Terry, I'm ready to be done talking about this just because we've been talking about the Broncos potentially trading everybody yep. since week two, probably. And here we are at the deadline. What what do you see this looking like? Does yeah. it do, does it depend on their result against Kansas City? Does no. it does it depend on asking price? And are we even going to see guys get moved out of Denver? After I think all this we talk? do as long as it, so. Here's what they're saying right now. They're telling everybody if you want Jerry Judy, it's a two plus. Second round pick plus something else. If you want Cortland Sutton, uh, Cortland Sutton it has to equal a two. Um, and then even like for Patrick Sutan, 
like, it's not what we want to do, but if somebody's going to come with a Jalen Ramsey type deal of two ones plus, they maybe listen to it, maybe not, because they know what kind of study is. Um, but I, I do think that at the end, George and Sean Payton, a cute little married couple over there, um, <laughs> they sit there at the end and they go, okay, what's our best offers right now for either of these receivers? Which one are we going to take? I, I think they take one, not both, but I, I'm not sure. That's there's still there's still a lot of time left. There is, I mean, and there's not a lot of receivers out there. The receivers out there have to run, hunt to run for. There's not a lot of receivers out there. And and I do, I mean, the situation there, especially Jerry Judy, I think hmm. I get why people ask about it because those guys are easier yeah. to move than a Devonte Adams, for yeah. instance. All right, I'll get you out of here on this note. Interesting situation going on with the quarterback in Cleveland. Nico wants to know. Can the Browns get out of Deshaun Watson's contract? Should no. they want to? Fully guaranteed. Right. No. That's can't get out of it. Fully guaranteed. And also, look, let's say even got a trade partner. Who's going to want to trade for him right now? Hasn't no, played well not. enough. No. And all the teams that kind of dodged the bullet and didn't trade for him. Remember, Miami was going to send over three ones and Carolina was going to send over three ones. They're really happy. Sometimes this league is about the trades you don't make. Sure. And they're very happy about not making those trades. But But I will tell you this. Just as far as the injury, like, is he, people think he's even like, it's not really hurt. He's hurt. It's a weird injury. It's this subscapulous muscle. It's under, like, it's basically under the, the um, rotator, rotator cuff. cuff. Right. But it's the biggest muscle there. It's attached to a tendon over there, which attaches to the bone. And if that thing isn't firing right, you're not able to follow through on your passes. So you can kind of come here, but you can't really go all the way down. And if your quarterback can't follow through on his passes, it doesn't really make sense to have your quarterback out there. Sure. So they th- and, and it's pr- probably like a four-week injury. They got him back a little bit early. Uh, it got aggravated. And because it's not an operation, and because you can't really shoot it, it's hard. you just got to sit there and wait. So you get frustrated because there's no exact timeline. And the Browns already had their bye week as well, which yeah. makes it frustrating on another level. But that's why that deal got talked about so much, right? I mean, there's yeah. not a whole lot the Browns can but do. But this is also, you know, listen, as far as owners... Why owners shouldn't step in and make deals. Uh, like, yeah. You got you to let your people do, be confident in who you hire to do those roles. Whether it's your general manager, your pro personnel director, your, your coaches, part of their job is scouting, right? That's what they do full time. It's not what you do full time as an owner. Let them do this. Like I asked one owner, one owner, I said, would you let my, a Mike Tomlin, let's say, right? Or a, a Sean McVay or Bill Belichick, would you let them run your companies? No, no, totally different. Well, why do you think you can make a first or second round pick? It's a different set of work and it's a different eye for talent that these guys have for years and years and years of practicing. And I know everybody thinks, well, if I got a billion dollars, I'm the smartest guy in the room. What will make you smarter is by not stepping in on the clock and, and jumping in on a player where you don't really have the eye for that for personnel. I don't think it's a coincidence that we haven't really seen anything like that mm-hmm. in the couple of years since then. Well, they did that with Manziel and they did that with Deshaun Watson. So, Oof, that's things. Jay, next time I talk to you, trade deadline will have passed. Mm-hmm. Jay Glazer will be on top of everything leading up to Tuesday. Get your questions in next week, not trade related. Jay, we will catch you next time. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Always.